when I bought the team, was doing 170 million in revenue and losing 20 million. This last year, our revenue was up over 500 million and we made money. So now we've got it fixed and we have the resources, thanks to our great fans, to really compete with the big guys, New York, Boston, LA. They're not happy about that, but we're here to stay. I'm Patrick Pacheco, and you're listening to Season 3 of In Good Companies from Cadence Bank, the podcast where we share our wealth of knowledge to help you navigate the opportunities ahead, because that's what Cadence is all about, the expertise and flexibility to do business on your terms. We're empowered to help, whether it's through our podcast or any of our more than 350 locations across the South and Texas. Whether it's because of new leadership, exogenous shock, or just a plain old rut, all companies will eventually need to change. Some will need to change drastically. We call that business transformation. But there's no clear template for how to change successfully. The classic transformation is a caterpillar that becomes a beautiful butterfly. But putting yourself in a cocoon and hoping to grow wings isn't what I'd call a strategy. So I think I've got a better example of transformation. The Houston Astros. When you talk about turnarounds, it's hard to think of one that's more dramatic than what's happened to the Astros. In 2011, they had their worst season in franchise history, losing 106 times. In the decades since, they've had one of the most dominant runs in the history of baseball. They've reached six straight league championship series, four World Series, and they've won the whole thing twice. In 12 years, the value of the team has quadrupled. So what changed? Actually, the better question might be, who changed? Jim Crane, owner and chairman of the Houston Astros. Jim is one of the most successful businessmen in the world. He's led two companies to billion-dollar revenues and helped countless others achieve success. When he purchased the Astros for $615 million in November 2011, he completely reshaped the franchise. It was a masterclass in business transformation. But to understand how that happened, we have to go way back to 1984. Because Jim didn't start out with the kind of money that can buy an MLB franchise. In fact, to launch his first business, he needed a $10,000 loan from his sister. So the first question I have to ask is, what did you say to your sister to let you borrow $10,000? Well, I think my sister was prepared to write it off, but um, (laughs) I started a, a small freight forwarding business in the early 80s, 84. And I had worked in the business for a couple of years and kind of learned how it worked. And it was pretty simplistic back then. One of the companies that I was working for didn't make the payroll of a particular week. So I just decided to do it on my own and started with really one guy answering the phone and went to my customers and said, hey, if you don't give me any business, I'm not going to eat. So he gets you a little bit intense on uh, moving quickly. So that's really how I started. That thing uh, went pretty quickly. And actually the first month I was in business, I made some money and was able to pay her back. I'm still paying her back. So your sister never told you that actually wasn't a loan. It was some type of convertible warrant or or something like that? (laughs) Well, I paid her back with interest and she's uh, always been very kind and generous. And so I'm still paying. So that was, was that Eagle Global Logistics that was the first company? Yeah, we, we started Eagle in 84, and uh, that business grew to substantial size, about $4 billion. And by 2007, with 10,000 employees, about 400 offices around the world, and we tried to take it private. By that time, Eagle was public and had caught the attention of private equity. Jim tried to buy the business out himself, but when other shareholders opted to sell, 
He'd left the company he'd founded and led for almost 25 years. I wasn't trying to sell a business. I was pretty upset, but I walked away with a big check and then really just started over with Crane Worldwide in 2008. And I've really got that business back up to $2 billion already. And we're not quite as big, but we're very efficient and we're private. So it's a lot easier to maneuver. So a good journey there. And we're still in the business and making sales calls on a weekly basis. Aside from business, Jim has another passion, sports. And he's competitive there too. My understanding is, that you still hold a school record at Central Missouri State, striking out 18 batters in a game. Is that correct? Well, I'm going to play it up, and then I'll play it down. (laughs) That was actually a World Series game in a D2 College World Series game. But my friends and the guys I played with a long time ago tell me, Jim, you did it, but the lights were really bad. So, yeah, I, (laughs) I have a few records at the school left and still see my old buddies, so it was a lot of fun. That's great. So what are you what are you prouder of? The 18 strikeouts or being ranked as the nation's top CEO golfer? Well, back then you didn't you didn't want that in the book. I mean because uh, you could go into the gin system which is the handicap system and you could look anybody's handicap up with their name and it was kind of public information. So I think the Bear Stearns guys, they were on the golf course playing golf and somebody looked it up and the place was burning down. So if you're running a public company, you really didn't want that on the board. Every time I went in to uh, you know, talk about our stock to the shareholder, and they'd say, well, how much golf do you play? And I said, well, I just hit balls at, at night, you know, practice a little <laughs> bit and play on the weekend. In 2011, Jim combined his passions when he became the majority owner of the Houston Astros. But there was a reason the Astros were for sale. They were bad. So prior to you buying the Astros, they had some pretty hard luck. 50 years, never had a championship. They were at a real low point in 2011 when you purchased them. The worst season in franchise history. Lost 106 games. Farm system was a mess. I don't think it's unfair to say that you you inherited an organization that was pretty rough around the edges. Why did you want to own a team that was the worst in baseball? I mean, what did you see in them? So basically, I I felt that the franchise was in a bad spot, but we were in a big market here in Houston. Um, They had a nice stadium. So there was variables there that were very favorable if you could get, you know, the team turned around. And it's a business, and it's not as complex as the, you know, it gets a lot more attention, of course, but it's not that big of a business. When we bought the business, it was $170 million in revenue. But all the same variables there were accounting, operations, sales, you know, some of the stuff we were doing in the logistic business, which was a little more complex, running it around the world with all the different laws and taxes. In the Astros, Jim saw a struggling business, but one with potential. And right away, he diagnosed one of their biggest problems, the farm system. To have depth in the team, we knew the farm system had got to get fixed. So I brought in a guy by the name of Jeff Luno who worked for... Um, you know, did some consulting work and really knew how to streamline the business and had worked for the Cardinals farm system. So we really attacked the farm system. And basically, um, they had a lot of bad contracts. So it took a little bit of time. And it was it was difficult those first few years because we were just, you know, spinning the wheels and, and losing a lot of games. You know, it seemed like it took forever, but it happened fairly quickly. As Jeff worked to put a great team on the field, Jim created a great team in the office. You know, if anybody tells you they've got this totally figured out on, in, in the MLB world, they're probably not telling you the truth. 
And so I, I just, uh, you know, hunkered down in the building and I actually brought a lot of the people that were let go from the other company and brought them in here, kind of my best operator, my best sales people, my finance people. And we just kind of start cutting through what we could improve on. I actually played baseball in college. So that gave me a little background on baseball. And then we just start working on improving the baseball operations also. Unlike many other owners, Jim took a hands-off approach to baseball operations, which allowed Jeff Lunau to be more innovative with the roster. He had a very good approach. I mean, he was he had the analytics, which we didn't have. He's run the really started the shift now that they have eliminated the shift this year, but it did work. So he was blending, you know, analytics and data to the field that had never really been done to that magnitude. So I gave him, you know, a lot of rope on that. And, you know, spin rate was another one. He, he found Derek Cole on spin rate. You know, he wasn't pitching that well in Pittsburgh and we were able to sign him for a reasonable amount and some excess players. He referred to them as converting, you know, a player and, you know, being able to fine tune a player and pick up that extra 10% that other people couldn't figure out. And so that really paid big dividends. When you trust your team to make the right choices, they can also operate more efficiently. Along with his, you know, analytical process, he was very business-oriented. He was cost-conscious. You know, he had it maybe a little tight where our baseball operation was the lowest cost in the business and we were the most efficient. So that, that adds up to some pretty good results at the end. You know, on a lot of the times when Jeff was in there, they were so compelling with the information they had. I really didn't overrule many decisions unless it was just a number that we didn't feel comfortable with. I don't recall really squashing any deals at that particular time. But the decision-making process, these guys were good. And at that time, I just tried to assist them when they needed help. And if they were kind of uncomfortable with the number, sometimes I had to push Jeff to spend more money, believe it or not, <laughs> to get the deal done. Because I felt that, you know, the impact of uh, some of those decisions were worth the risk. Empowering your team also frees you up to focus on the things that you do best. For Jim, that was dealing with people. I was comfortable in the locker room because I'd been in a locker room and I'd tried to get to know the players. I'd take them to dinner and their wives to dinner. Not a lot of owners do that. So they were key people in our organization and I always like to know how they think and what they're doing. So I was a little more hands-on on the people element. Yeah, I didn't really get involved unless it was trying to sign somebody. You know, I called Justin Berlander tonight. We got him signed. I mean, I would get involved at the last minute trying to convince the guys that we knew what we were doing. I did a lot of selling, so I, I always told people I was a closer. And I actually closed in college, too, so I, I like to close. But at the end of the day, um, we had a good story, and, you know, we started to be able to bring in some players and improve the players once they got here. And I think now what you see is people want to play here. The changes Jim made weren't just operational. They were cultural. So when you do this, did you have some type of culture you were looking to instill in the organization? That's a, it seems like that's so important to the success of many organizations. It's just kind of what their corporate culture is. 
we really work hard at, you know, taking care of our people here and keeping the turnover low and same thing I did in the other businesses and creating a good place to work and communicating. And, you know, when you have success, you, you can share that with the employees and they started to see that coming their way. So they're a part of the team. We try to make everyone part of the team, whether they're on the field or on the business side. And I think that creates, you know, a lot of success. People will put in the extra work, do a little bit extra here, a little bit extra there. And before you know it, everybody's pulling in the same direction. Yeah, that's what I always say. As long as they get to be rowing in the same general direction, we, we should be okay. That cultural shift also set the tone in the dugout. We've created a culture like when those key guys in the locker, when you come in the locker room, there's an expectation that we're going to win. And everyone starts to feel that. And it kind of gets... It's like when a company is really successful, everybody will put in a little extra effort. Everybody's kind of looking over their shoulder. You training right, you eating right. Every, everybody, you know, starts buying into the program and then good coaches, good scouts, good trainers. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it, but we knew once we, we had it there and the revenues were following, you know, you can't always win every year. Certain things happen, but we feel we can keep it very consistent After building such strong connections internally, Jim wanted to do the same externally, both with business and the Houston community. And he found a way to do both. We attacked it in all areas. We attacked it from the corporate support. One one project we did, which really endeared a lot of the corporate people, is to fix baseball fields in the community. So we started a program called the Community Leaders. Those corporations spent money at the ballpark, but they also helped us renovate the city parks with a donation, maintain the fields. And since then, we've got 23 city fields that have been renovated, maintained, and over 11,000 kids run through that program. So we did some stuff that was the right thing to do for the community, to support the community. And we really focused on the foundation, which when we came in had 30,000 and all the revenues were going out the door to various other charities, which was great, but it wasn't really having any impact on the community. So we, we really went after that. And since then, we've raised like $60 million and So all of this money goes right back into the city. So I think getting the corporate people on board was a big plus. And then once we started to win, it even gets better. So we're continuing to expand it. I mean, basically, you know, in the underserved areas, a lot of the kids weren't playing baseball, girls and boys, because they didn't have the facilities. But the facilities were there. They were city parks, but they were dilapidated and not maintained real well. So we just took a couple by chance and the mayor at the time let us do it and said, we're going to fix them and we're going to maintain them. We figured out the formula and we started in one park, got a carpet sponsor to said the signs you see in left field are all those big companies that donate money to make this happen. The Astros Foundation brought the team lucrative partnerships, but more importantly, it strengthened their ties to the community. Through that program, we've run, you know, 11,000 kids through there. And now we're into 10 years of doing it. 40 kids uh, get scholarships to college baseball and softball and two kids get drafted. You know, not all of them are going to make it to the major leagues, but it teaches them a lot of great things in life. You know, teamwork, working hard, showing up, being on time, all of those things that you participate when you work with people. If I, if I saw a resume with a college athlete or someone that was a volleyball player or swimming in college that I knew two things immediately. One, they had to work hard to stay on the team to be successful, whether they were the best 
in the business or not. They were part of a team. They work hard. They showed up and they had to get grades. They weren't all A students, but that mechanism that they learned there and those skill sets really transfer well into business. And so those are the, a lot of the people that I have that work with me. I coached uh, baseball, you know, two seasons a year from the times my boys were, were three until just this last season, 15, 16 years of, of two teams a year. And, you know, the, the one thing I always would tell folks is, I said, at the start of the season, just this is what's going to happen when you work. You're going to have people you like, people maybe you don't like as much, but you're, you're working together, you're part of a team. So when you go to work, you can't decide, I don't, I don't like him, so I don't want to talk to him. You got to do everything it takes to be a good team and be a good teammate. And I, I, I feel like that's a, someplace you can really learn because you have kids that are great and kids that are just hanging in there and they all have to be on the same team, try to, try to go win. So let's go to 2017. Astros become world champions. Balls hit to Altuve, Fields throws it to Yuli, game over. What was the feeling or at that, right at that second when you knew this is it, we, we've won? How, how did that make you feel? Well, you, you never thought you'd get there. I mean, you know, it was, it was a long road. It seemed like a long road. And then after you got there, it was nice to see, you know, the city get behind us and um, never had a championship here before. And the hurricane that came through here and the town was beat up. And so it was just very uplifting for the fans and great to deliver a world championship to the team. The night was a long night. You know, nobody wanted to leave. So it was, it was a lot of fun and great for the city. And, and the parade was phenomenal. Financial and life journeys are as different as the people who embark on them. Reaching your goals takes guidance and making the right moves. Helping you get there is what we do best. Visit CadenceBank.com to find out why Cadence is the bank for you. Cadence Bank, member FDIC. In less than a decade, Jim transformed the Astros from basement dwellers to world champs. And that was no fluke. That same transformative approach was on display with another sporting endeavor, the Houston Open. The Houston Open had failed. They lost the sponsor that they had for a number of years. And so I checked in with the PGA. I played a lot of golf and know a lot of the people in the business. And I said, I think, you know, we, we can generate the sponsorship. The Houston Open is a microcosm of Jim's process. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Jim sees a struggling enterprise that has untapped potential. Then he diagnoses the biggest problem holding him back. It was played in a bad location, you know, outside of town, so it didn't draw very well. And so with the new mayor's help, Mayor Turner, um, we got the commitment that we could renovate Memorial Park, which is a beautiful park, and it's bigger than Central Park, and it was an underutilized asset. He builds an efficient team of operators and creates both public and private partnerships for funding and support. We run it with five people. When it was run before, it was run by 70 we back it up with our staff here at the Astros from the marketing and the sales side. And so we can run it very efficiently. And so we went in and raised the money with a lot of foundations donating. Uh, we spent about $32 million renovating the park, moving the tennis courts, fixing the driving range. And we told the mayor, what got the mayor to do it, I said, listen, your driving range will make a million more a year. It was making a million. And he said, are you kidding me? And I said, no. And he said, okay, let's try it. So it, that worked. The course made a million more and we donated a million more to the city parks. And so it's been a big win. The lead sponsor of that tournament, by the way, you might recognize them. We um, were able to get Cadence to step in and be the title sponsor last year, which was a big help. 
And so that tournament has been extremely successful and is still growing. And the fact that Cadence came in and helped, all that, all the excess cash over the top of that, I think we made about four or five million excess and Cadence able to direct some of that money to some good causes as they like has really worked. And we think we can get it bigger and bigger. And so it's been a great success and they've been a great sponsor and we really appreciate our help. They kind of got it to the next level this last year. You can play the golf course. It's a public course, a championship PGA golf course for $38. So that's probably one of our biggest projects and most successful project. I mean, the baseball's done well, but this is a really good story. Of course, the work's not done once you've transformed the business. Since their win in 2017, the Astros reached the ALCS five straight years, went to the World Series three times, and in 2022, they won it all again. 2017, you said it's just, you're numb, unbelievable feeling. The 2022 win, is it, does the feeling last as long or are you already drawn to how are we gonna do this next year? I mean, what, what's the difference, the feeling between those two? Well, I mean, you don't have much time. We played into November because the season started late. So now we're three months later, almost four months. You know, there's not a lot of rest. So you got to gear up for, you know, we've made a bunch of big changes at the ballpark here. We got new video screens. We got a big new store in center field. So we're always planning. So you get about 30 or 40 days where you can just kind of go, oh boy, that was fun. And then then it's time to go back to work. So there's no, no rest down here too long. When you're at the top, everybody's aiming for you. To maintain your edge, you've got to keep working. Everything is just magnified. Now the expectations are are set, so we have to keep our head down. It's just consistency. You're not going to win every single year, but, you know, you get there enough. You know, four chances we've had in the World Series, we've won two. But, you know, as we started to win, you know, really we started generating more revenue, which allowed us to increase the payroll. When I bought the team, it was doing 170 million in revenue and losing 20 million. This last year, our revenue was up over 500 million and we made money. So from there to here was a little journey, but now we've got it fixed and we have the resources thanks to our great fans and our fan base and our corporate support here to really compete with the big guys, New York, Boston, LA, they're not happy about that, but we're here to stay. (laughs) I'll let the other people figure out whether we're a dynasty or not. It's just fun to be able to deliver a good product for the city. Certainly, I think if we could win one more here shortly, it may be in the breadth of some good teams over a long period of time, but I'll let the other folks deal with that. We'll just keep our head down here and keep working and uh, hope to see everybody at the ballpark here soon. So not all of our listeners are running Major League Baseball franchises. So let's think about executives or business owners out there that are listening to the podcast. What can they learn from your business transformation journey with the Astros? I mean, what, what kind of advice can you give them and what should they take away? The message I would say is, you know, set up a good plan, cover all the bases and work your plan, work your plan. I mean, create a good spot to work, treat your people right and try to outperform your competitors. And, you know, I always say if you, show up early and leave late, you know, you're going to beat nine out of 10. So working hard is a big part of it and and staying focused and then, you know, trust in your instincts and treat your people right because they're your biggest asset. So it sounds complicated. It seems difficult, but, you know, you just have to stay focused on on those simple things day in and day out. And, you know, you're never going to make all the decisions right, but you 
evaluate everything you can possibly get from your entire team, and then you try to make the best decision with the information you have at the time. Uh, when you're doing that and everyone's communicating well, that makes for good decisions most of the time. Jim Crane has spent his career creating billion-dollar businesses, but his approach works for companies of any size to transform a business, figure out the untapped opportunity, and have a plan to attack it. Hire a great team and empower them to do great work. That culture will permeate your whole operation. And don't just focus inward. Create partnerships with external stakeholders too. Collaboration will open doors and make you part of the fabric of your community. Any way you slice it, it's a home run. A big thank you to Jim Crane for coming on the show. And go Astros. Woo! (laughs) If you enjoyed the show, we'd appreciate it if you'd write a review in your podcast app. Or, if you're short on time, you can just rate us five stars. It only takes a second. And while you're there, subscribe. We'd love to have you. Because when you're with us, we're in good companies. In Good Companies is a podcast from Cadence Bank, member FDIC, equal opportunity lender. Sheena Cochran is our production coordinator. Our executive producer is Daniel Cornell with writing and production from Andrew Gannam and sound design and mixing by Ben Cranlett at Lower Street Media. I'm your host, Patrick Pacheco. This podcast is provided as a free service to you and is for general informational purposes only. Cadence Bank and its affiliates make no representation or warranties as to the accuracy, completeness, or timeliness of the content in the podcast. The podcast is not intended to provide legal, accounting, or tax advice and should not be relied upon for such purposes. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests in this podcast are solely their own current opinions regarding the subject matters discussed in the podcast and are based on their own perspectives. Such views, perspectives, and opinions do not reflect those of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates or the companies in which any guest is or may be affiliated. The production and presentation of this podcast by Cadence Bank does not imply the expression of any opinion on part of Cadence Bank or any of its affiliates.